Welcome to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. Teen Financial Freedom is a personal finance blog run by teens who are on a mission to equip their peers with the knowledge, resources, and understanding they need to become financially free for the rest of their lives. Welcome back, everyone, to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. I am your host today. I'm Chase. We have a number of different hosts on the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast, Jacob, Terry, Donnie, and myself. But today, it is me, Chase, and I am coming at you with an absolutely amazing episode. So a couple of weeks ago, maybe maybe about two weeks ago, I was in this email conversation, and I got hooked up with this guy named Bob, Bob Wheeler. He is amazing. Bob is known for his having a different perspective on money than most people would. He talks about how emotion connects you to your money and how you have to control your emotions in order to control your finances, which is a really unique perspective to take on money when everyone else is talking about budgeting and just managing your finances in a traditional way. So I'm really, really excited to sit down with Bob today to introduce him to you guys, the audience, and just find out as much as I can about this emotional connection to money, dive into tons of other topics. So Bob, Welcome to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. I am super excited to have you on here today, man. It has been so much of a wait. I'm super excited to have you here. How are you doing today, man? Hey, Chase. It's great to be here. I'm excited about the conversation too. Love what you're doing. And uh, yeah, I'm just jazzed. Yeah, man. I mean, like I said, we we scheduled this probably what, a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago now. Yeah. And yeah. I've been excited for it ever since. Since I read your initial bio, I was like, oh, that's a unique take. I, like the name of your company, The Money Nerve. Like. Yeah. It's it's unique. It's something you don't see coming. And then reading more and more about your stuff at like, oh, it's just you have this you have such unique perspective on money. You're approaching in a way that no one else is. I just I love what you're doing. Well, so. I appreciate that. I mean, here's the thing. We all get emotional around money, whether it's good or bad. And that was the name of the, you know, the book and the company, The Nerve, because when you win a lottery ticket, you're like, ah, yeah, that's great. You know, your bank account's overdrawn. You're like, ugh, you know, it's yeah. this physical. It's this physical thing. It's such an interesting take. So I, we will get to that more later in the episode. But I want to start today with talking about you. So one thing that I really like to ask of the guests that come here on the podcast is like, what were you like when you were a kid? Because this is the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast, and we are talking about teens. So I want to know what you were like when you're in your teen areas, and how did we get from teen Bob to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting. I grew up in a family that did not have a lot of money. I had uh, four other siblings, and my parents were terrible with money. If we had money, it was just luck. Nothing to do with thinking ahead. And so there wasn't any real teaching about how to deal with money. Uh, In fact, often uh, our parents would borrow from our piggy banks or our allowances and uh, sort of forget to pay it back. So (laughs) it was, hmm. So the modeling wasn't the best, but God bless them. It wasn't necessarily their fault. They didn't have good training. Uh, You know, as a kid, I was... I was always thinking about money, though, because I think because we didn't have it um, and I could see all the possibilities of doing things. And my family joked about it like, like, oh, you're like that, uh, you know, Michael Keaton on Family Ties. You just think about money as if I wasn't thinking about other things. I wasn't thinking about being of service or being charitable. Mm -hmm. Um, It was sort of bad if you were focused on money. But I still stayed focused on money. I was also into the creative arts and uh, music and things like that, band. But as I saw that money really seemed to help 
things happen better in the world. I really wanted to stay away from anything that didn't generate money. So I was on track. Actually, I was going to be a lawyer. So I was taking all my law classes and I was taking accounting just because I was good at it. And so it was an easy A. Like I was just interested in the easy A. So I'm like, ah, that's easy. Got to school, did all the law stuff. Realized I didn't really like any of the lawyers I was meeting. (laughs) And I thought, hmm, they're not so nice. I think maybe I'll go into accounting. It's easy. But I also had the misconception that if it's easy, then maybe you can't really get paid for it. Right. Right. Like, because you have to work hard and it's got to be painful, which is not true, but that's the story that I had. And so I got into accounting and I was still terribly financially, you know, illiterate, even though I had the skill set, I had the credentials, I had the CPA license, but personally I was terrible with stuff. And Whenever I'd meet with clients and we would end up having therapy sessions instead of tax sessions because right. they were crying because they didn't save enough tax or they were making choices that were terrible. Right. Uh, thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt and stuff. And so I got really curious as I reconnected with creativity, I got into doing stand-up comedy. All my friends were comics and they all had shame around money. They mm. all had this belief that they were the only ones that didn't know how to do it, that they were disappointed in themselves, that they chose passion over finance. Passion over profit, yeah. Passion over profit. And and so it just, I got really curious about what was going on with everybody because it wasn't just me. And even though I was sort of keeping it a secret initially, like I don't have my stuff together, I started working on it because I wanted to actually be the person that thought that people thought I was and and I wanted to do better. And I really, really did want to be able to put that money away and invest and make smart choices. And, and so that's really, that was my journey was how to get myself out of debt, how to right. do these things. And at the same time, I grew up in a very small town. And so when I got to the big town, Memphis, Tennessee, which was a big town for me, yeah. um, I, it was intimidating. And so I got a lot, you know, I wasn't, I, I was quieter. Uh, if I didn't know people, I was a bit shy. So comedy or being with close friends was the only place where I would express myself. And the rest of the time I was like, let me just stay really quiet and invisible. So nobody like attacks me. And, and so that was sort of it, you know, stay sort of off the radar, do your thing and just try and keep doing it better. I feel grateful that, you know, the journey that I've had has, has like, it's been, it's been worth it. It's not always fun. It's often painful. I go into some of this stuff, kicking and screaming, self-growth, self-improvement, but on the other side, I come out a much better person. 100%. Okay. There's a lot to unpack here. Cause you see, <laughs> you said in the space of the past, like seven minutes, you said a lot. So I want to talk about a couple things. One of the things that you said right at the beginning was that your family when was like, because you were so focused on money, your family started to kind of look down upon you or thought differently about you because you were like that Michael Keaton guy on TV. Yeah. And this is a mind this is a perception that I think a lot of people have to have to deal with, right? Is because if you're seen obsessing over money, always thinking about money, wanting to be successful financially, then people start to think a little bit differently about you because it's always it's there's always this mindset of kind of rich versus poor, I think is, is kind of what you're you're going with. Yeah. And yeah, I just find that to be not true because money like a lot of things, is almost a skill. There are people who are incredibly athletic. There are people who are incredibly intelligent. There are people who are super creative. There are people who are really good at making money. And I think that like anything else in life, it is a talent that you can cultivate and something that you can scale inside of yourself. And that's where self-improvement comes in. 
And so I just wanted to kind of address that. Yeah, I think that's so true. And what's interesting, even now when I do workshops, I'll say, who wants to be rich? Oh, everybody wants to be rich. Mm -hmm. What do you think rich people? They suck, <laughs> right? So like we have this perception that rich people are evil, yet we want it. And even in my own story, you know, oh, Bob, so he's just focused on money. But later on, hey, can I borrow some money? Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, do you want? So all of a sudden, it's attractive when it's convenient. Right. And right. And then when we're feeling not good about it, we can judge it. There are so many amazing, nice, rich people, wealthy people. And I distinguish between rich and wealthy because I think wealthy people, most of the time, you don't even know it. Because they're just out there living their life. They're not driving the fancy car. They're not like, look at me, look at me. They're just living their life. And they're not trying to be like, look at my social media profile. Look at my car. Yeah, because I, I agree. The difference is rich is a perception, but wealthy is a state of being. Yeah. Um, it's kind of how I like to think about it. You Absolutely. Know? Because you see a lot of people who have this perception around them of, I'm so rich. Like you see this with superstar athletes, superstar actors all the time. You know what I mean? Where yeah. they have this lifestyle that's so lavish and so amazing and everyone's like gawking at them like, oh my God. But then five years after the acting career ends, five years after they get out of the NBA, whatever, they have no money. They're, this right. perception of being rich has burnt them to the ground because rather than being in the states of being wealthy, they were, in, they were trying to create the perception that they were rich. So... I think it's an important distinction to have between the two that I think our listeners need to really think about because to the listener, what you're doing now, are you chasing after the perception of being rich? Like, are you going after your goals solely because you want the material things you want the Lamborghini, you want the big house, et cetera, which if you are, there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to look at that and really analyze what it is for your, if what you're going for. Cause material things can be a fantastic motivator. Like, I mean, come on, material things motivate all of us at some point in our lives, and it has driven great people to do absolutely amazing things. But you have to realize that if you want to have sustainable success, then you have to slowly shift into this state of wealthiness, because just chasing the perception of being rich, you might find short-term success, but eventually you'll burn out and you'll burn yourself to the ground. Whereas if eventually you achieve the state of being wealthy, that is the kind of money that will last for generations. Yeah, I think that's so important, Chase. Like, to me, I ask people, what do you want? Why do you want it? Yes. Um, why don't you have it? And what are you willing to do to get it? Because it might be, I'm willing to lose all my friends. I'm willing to give up my integrity. But in the end, is that really worth it? Or I want people, you know, why do I want it? Because I want everybody to think I'm super cool. And so that's okay in the short term, like you said, but it's really important to check in and say, wait a minute, what do I want my life purpose to be? What do I want to show up for? How do I want to be in the world? And like sometimes, you know, it means saying no when your friends say, let's go party or let's go take a trip. No, mm -hmm. it's not in my budget. Instead of, oh, no, I'm ashamed. So yeah, yeah, I'll charge it. Yeah, yeah. just learning to say no, setting a boundary and actually taking care of yourself, self-advocacy instead of caving into pressure. Right. And so here's a question that I kind of, that I've struggled with in my own life, Bob. So I'm, I'm getting a little bit of one-on-one -on -one mentorship with here, with you here. So I am currently 16, going to be turning 17 soon. And my family and myself have always had these ideals of like working hard equals success. Like we kind of, we kind of brush on this a little bit earlier and yeah. you'll see where this question is going. In order to find success, you have to work hard and you have to work a lot hard for an extended period of time. And that also means that you're going to have to sacrifice parts of your life. So for a teen like me, who I know that I need to work hard, 
and it doesn't have, it does it doesn't mean that it has to be hard it just means that i have to work hard like we like we touched on earlier but i have this feeling that i always need to be working to advance myself i almost struggle to stop and not like when i go to have fun with my friends i feel guilty so right. how does one balance that working hard to push themselves forward in life and that that aspect where you also need to live your life because if you're working hard to get somewhere then you get there and you're just going to work hard some more. So how do I balance, like I said, how do I balance living life versus advancing my life? Yeah, it's, well, I think it's important to schedule in fun. I think it's important to schedule in those things that aren't advancing because it actually gives you time to slow down and be re-energized to keep advancing. But I can tell you a lot of my clients, these are people in their thirties, their fifties, their seventies, they're still chasing Right? right. They're still like, oh my God, if I just get to this one more thing, one more thing. And, and all of a sudden, wait a minute, I never actually stopped and enjoyed it. So right. you do have to, well, you don't have to do it, but I recommend that you learn to just say, I'm taking a weekend off once a month, or mm-hmm. I'm going to take a vacation every three months and I'm going away for a week. You know, for me, I get nervous when I take more than two and a half weeks off because I'm like, yeah. wait, I could be missed, but I still, I take that time off. I'll, I try to go to places. Uh, my last big trip was going to uh, Zimbabwe on a rhino sanctuary where there was no internet, right? Really? That's I awesome. had nothing to do but unplug. Uh, That's so cool. And I was the whole week or two before I was going to cancel, right? I'm like, no, 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 no. I got things. No, you have to build it in and force yourself to go have fun. <laughs> 100%. And that's something I struggle with because I work two or three jobs and like, there's always something to do. Always something, you know, like, and I'm sure this is true of everyone else in the whole entire world. But when I sit down with my friends to play video games online, or I sit back to read a good book or whatever it is after about 20 minutes, I start to think, man, but I could be doing this work. And that's a difficult percent. That's, that's a difficult thing to deal with. But to the listener, if, if you're having those feelings, maybe you might not, maybe you're blessed and you don't have those feelings, but, Something that I look at a lot is that when I work for extended periods of time, I start taking little breaks during during my work that are like, oh, let me just play this mobile game for a second, you know, but then 30 minutes goes by and I'm in the middle of my working like working period and I've been on this mobile game for 30 minutes, you know, and so you have to it's like if you like deprive yourself of having fun, you start to unconsciously insert those little bits of fun into hours where you should be being productive and then you're less productive. And then that time that you need to be working extends further and further because you're getting less done in this longer period of time. So you have to expand it. So you have more time to get what you need to get done. And so I think it's, it's like a self-destructive cycle. Would you kind of agree with that, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. And for me, like I love video games. I love all that stuff, but I can tell you my work computer and my phone, I don't have any of that stuff on there, right? Because I don't want to get distracted. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't want to go have fun and I'll play those games elsewhere, but I do it in a controlled way so that I don't self-sabotage. And when I'm at my office, if some people are, some of the staff like, hey, Bob, let's just check. No, I'm here to work. I'm here to work. I'm going to put in my time and then I'm going to go and do my thing. I'm going to go have my fun. Mm -hmm. So I I budget fun into my schedule. And when I'm working, I'm working. So like, don't talk to me. I'm working unless that's part of the job. And then, then when it's time to go play, I'm ready to go play. I want to go have fun. Yes. And like, I'm signing off. Don't call me. Yes. I love it. Okay. So I want to talk 
about something else that we mentioned in our initial dialogue was we talked about passion over profit was yeah. it was a little it was a little thing that we tossed in there and you talked about how you want to become a lawyer but then you realized that you hated lawyers yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and then you became an accountant and and then you were having therapy sessions it, therapy sessions. Right. I'm doing quotation marks here to the listener. Therapy sessions with your clients. And you talked about how your friends who were, they had tons of friends that were creative comedians and stuff. They were, they were like guilty because they were chasing something that they loved rather than chasing the job that's going to give them the most money. Yeah. I want to touch lightly on why you think it's better to follow passion over profit or vice versa. I want to, I want to hear your opinion on this. Yeah, so I think passion over profit, hands down. Yes. If we're not having fun in this life, if we're not doing what we love, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to just go through every day just trying to like mark the time so that I can just be let go out of my mental jail that I'm in. I want to wake up every day going, oh my God, I can't wait to go to the office or I can't wait to do what I do. I can't wait to look at my investments. I want to get up and I want to be excited. And so whether it's, creativity, whether it's painting, whether it's, whether it's finance, whether it's working on a farm, mm -hmm. like love what you do. Not every part of it's going to be amazing. Yes. You know, yes, being a stand-up comic. Yeah. I mean, I love stand-up comedy, but guess what? You got to bring an audience. You got to write your jokes. It's not just get up and like, everybody's like, yeah, funny. It don't work that way. If you're doing accounting, it's not just doing taxes. It's all the administrative stuff. You got to do the billing. You got to mm -hmm. deal with your staff. You got to fire people. You got to set boundaries. There's always going to be a part where it's not always the most fun. Um, but if you're doing what you love, you can look at those pieces and go, yeah, that's okay. Because I'm doing what I love. If So whatever it is, whether you're doing the creative arts, doing a trade, doing a skill, love what you do because life's too short not to just be having fun and, and doing what we want. And so I think the best analogy here for a teen is if you guys think about sports that you love, all right. Cause, cause I think most teens play sports. So let's, let's use the analogy of sports here Yeah. with the sport. Most of the time, if you're playing football, if you're playing basketball, if you're swimming, if you're running, et cetera, you're doing it because you love it. You enjoy it. You love the people there. You love doing the sport. You find, so you, you just get pumped with dopamine when you win, but you hate practice. You dread going to practice every day. You know you need to because that's the only way that you're going to get better, but you dread going to it. And so I think that's the part that we're talking about here. You're doing something that you love, but in order to do what you love, you have to do something that you also hate. And maybe you don't hate practice, but you have to do something that's difficult in order to continue doing what you love. That is what we're looking for here. We're looking for the sport of jobs. You know, We're looking for that job that you love going to it. You love doing taxes or I don't know, you love rescuing animals in the wildlife, but on the back end, you're going to have to fill out a bunch of paperwork for that amount of animal. On the back end, you're going to have to do the administrative work. You're going to have to do that practice so that you can do the fun part. That's what we're talking about here. That's right. Absolutely. You got to put in the time. And if you listen to professional athletes, they put in the time. We just see the game. Exactly. We don't see all the time and energy when it's the down season, when Everybody else is like, oh, they're probably partying. No, they're not. They're, they're at the gym. They're working it. They're working on their past. They're working on whatever it is, whether it's tennis, whether it's, and then pick, if you're going to pick a sport, pick one you really love. Don't pick mm -hmm. one that mom and dad love. You know, I'm short. So playing basketball is not always fulfilling for me, uh, but give me a tennis <laughs> racket. <laughs> I'm having a great time. Yes. Yes. I can get behind that 100%. So to the listener, find something that you love and 
pursue that as hard as you can. And you might, you might say, Chase, Chase, I don't know what I love. Well, I mean, ask your friends and family because they're your friends and family know you better than you know yourself. That fun fact. Um, they see your flaws better than you do. They see your strengths better than you do. It's really introspection is very hard. So if you don't know what it is that you love, you don't know what it is that you're good at, go to your friends, go to your family, say, Hey, Jake, my best friend, my Jake from State Farm, my best friend. <laughs> what am I really good at? What are, what do I seem to enjoy doing? Etc. Ask your friends, ask your family. Go to five to ten of your different friends or family. Write down their answers as to ask them those two questions. What do I? What am I really good at? What do I enjoy doing? If you go to all ten of those people, you'll have ten answers for each of those questions, and then you'll be able to from those questions define what it is that you're both good at and something that you love doing. That is that is my exercise. Here's the thing. A lot of us don't want feedback, yes. right? Because we actually might hear something we don't want to hear, or we might hear the truth. Mm. And I, I think that's such a great exercise that you're offering is asking people what they see, because we don't always see it the same way somebody else sees it. And, mm -hmm. and like, I might think I'm the greatest singer in the world, and I should only be singing in the shower. Right. And, uh, but everybody yeah. else knows that, but me, it doesn't mean I can't be in the music industry. Maybe, mm -hmm. It just means maybe I'm not going to be a singer. Yeah. Um, but I, I think asking for feedback, whether it's finance, whether it's how do I seem to be around money? Um, what do you notice? Yeah. Uh, th that's such valuable information. 100%. So now, Bob, I want to get to how did we end up as Bob? from the money nerve like you know that's like that's like how people know you you're bob the money the money nerve guy how yeah. one where did we come up with the name the money nerve and two how did you fall into this i mean i'm gonna say fall in i don't know if this is like you know you, you yeah. found it whatever how did you end up doing what you're doing now so the money nerve again the name it just to me it, it's so in, we embody our emotions around right. money 100 um, and so even when I, even my editor was like, I don't really have any emotions when I make decisions about money. I said, yes, really? I said, oh, okay. Well, when you go out to dinner with your dad, who pays? Well, he does. I'm his princess. Who pays when you go out with your mom? Well, I do because my dad left her and she's such a victim. Oh, who pays when you go out with your sister? Well, we pay equally. Right. You're making, oh yeah. And then, oh, okay. I get it. Right. Yeah. We all make decisions emotionally. And so I wanted it to be something that let people know it's in us, the money right. nerve, because whether it's positive or negative, we feel it, we carry it within us. Yes. Um, and I wanted to expose that so that we could start to get conscious. I wanted people to get really conscious um, and intentional around money, um, just because I was seeing so much sabotage um, right. from very successful people um, and very wealthy people that had a lot of shame because they had too much money or yes. they didn't deserve success. And so really wanted to, to do that. And what happened was I was sitting with a friend of mine at the comedy store in the main room one day, and she had just talked to all of her family who are all doctors. Mm -hmm. And they had just shamed her because ah, you're a comic and everybody else is a doctor. Good choice. Mm -hmm. And she came in, she was crying. She's like, I'm the stupidest person in the world. I chose passion. I chose what I love to do. I'm such an yes. idiot. I said, no, you're not. You're, you're and you're not alone so many people that you think have it together don't you're just seeing that picture on instagram you're just seeing that picture on social media that says they're they had an amazing yep. vacation mm -hmm. right but they might be twenty thousand dollars in debt for that amazing vacation 
we just we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg and she was like what and I, it was at that moment because i was also looking at my own journey and where was i not in integrity or not in alignment with what i said i wanted to be i said i'm gonna i gotta write this book i want to write this book i want people to know that there's no shame in not having financial literacy mm -hmm. and i wanted people to know that they were not alone that there right. are so many people that are keeping you know nobody runs around going oh my god look at my debt and i just filed bankruptcy last week you want to hang out <laughs> people are like oh my god get away it's, <laughs> yeah yeah that's not happening that's what happened is I saw that there was something deeper and everybody was acting as if everything was just black and white. Yeah. And I wanted to get into the layers. I love that. Like, oh, what's, what, what am I trying to say here? I love what you just discussed. This whole idea, people are emotionally connected to their money. They don't think they are, but they are, whether they realize it or not. Yeah. And I just think that is such a simple insight but one that people often don't even have to themselves right it's that whole idea of introspection is really hard you know yeah you don't absolutely. realize that you're emotionally connected to your money until someone points out exactly like you did oh who who pays when you go to dinner with your dad you know i love that idea so can we talk about how you control work with compromise your emotions when it comes to money because Something that I struggle with, and it kind of goes back to this, I want to live, right? Is like, sometimes I really want, there's a fantastic restaurant near where I live called Tropical Smoothie. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's basically this really healthy establishment that does like fruit smoothies and stuff. So good. Six bucks a smoothie. Ugh. It's really expensive. It's like $12 a meal. And I love it there. But every time I go there, I'm like, ugh. It's like, it's like I'm feeling a physical blow from that, from seeing the number on their cash register, yeah. but I still end up going there because I love their food. And even though I probably shouldn't even like it eat a $2 meal or dollar meal at my house. So can we talk about how we work with our emotions, how we compromise with ourselves to think less emotionally about money? Or maybe, maybe you think we should be thinking more emotionally about our, our money. I, that's, that's another question I'd love to have is kind of dive into that. Yeah. So I think we should think more intentionally about our money. All right. And be more conscious about our money. So it doesn't mean that we have to be like all the time, like, how do I feel? Am I happy? But just to be more, oh, I feel bad when I go out and have a nice meal. So for me, it's having these conversations with ourselves and, and getting honest. So, you know, I love to eat and I will go out and spend a couple hundred bucks on a sushi dinner, yep. but I won't spend 500 bucks on a sushi dinner. Right. You got to limit it. You know, I have, a, I, have my, I have my budget of what's right. my tolerance level. And so for me, I work around, like, I mean, this is sort of silly, but like when I go out and take out my staff for dinner, mm -hmm. uh, for, for a holiday dinner, and everybody's ordering premium drinks, and I'm just like, uh, uh, can't everybody have an iced tea, right? I'm like, <laughs> come on, people, I'm paying for it. Um, I found it was just easier to give my credit card to my office manager and say, you just deal with everything because I'm sitting there and clocking everything yeah, and yeah. I'm not having a good time. Yeah. Whereas if I just hand her the card, I'm still paying for it, but I'm like, okay, I'm not paying for it. So like right. I sort of tricked myself, yeah. right? So I don't feel so bad. As long as I'm only going out for sushi a couple times a month, spending two or 300 bucks, I don't beat myself up about it because right. I know I've, I've worked for it. I deserve it. It's when I was doing coffee every day, spending five, six bucks, because you got to get the extra large and then got to get the whipped cream. And you, well, yeah, of course. I yeah. And then you're spending all this money. Wow. Then I, I had to say, that's too much. I'll just do it on Fridays. 
I, right. So I set myself up and I created a habit. I only get my coffees on Friday and the rest I make it at home right? or I go without. And, and so I set boundaries uh, for myself of what I will and won't do. Um, and when it starts to feel, you know, and then I check in, you know, I had somebody come out mm-hmm. and do a, an assessment of what they were going to charge me to do some stuff. I just bought a new place and I wanted to know what's that and this. He's like, oh, I'll, char- I'll pay you. I'll charge you this much. And I went, ah, no, nah, I'll do it myself. That yeah. felt, you know, you can do that. That's great. And I'm happy about this, but yeah, not that. So just getting aware of, do I have the money to do it? If I don't have the money, what do I need to get the money to do it? Right. And, and, and really just keep being intentional. Do, you know, if I say I want to buy uh, a new car or a bicycle, whatever it is, uh, take a trip and I'm spending you know, and getting my smoothies every day and I'm racking up my money on $6 every day, then I'm saying, well, this isn't really helping get me get towards my goal. Right. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. So, so then I ask myself in this moment, am I spending the money? Is it helping me with everything else that I say that I want? So I keep checking in. What are my long-term goals? What are the goals I want six months from now? What do I want four weeks from now? And, and what I'm doing right now in this spending, is it helping that? Because if it's not, right. I don't want to do it. I really, really like that. So something that helped me a lot. So for anyone listening, a strategy that really helped me get more intentional about my money. I need, I, this worked while I did it and now I'm not doing it and I need to start doing it again is I had this big Excel spreadsheet, right? And I just type in the top, I like, like the file name would be month of July. And I had this column that said money earned and I had a column that said money spent. And so basically what I would do is I would go in and I'd put in a number for every, every single time that I went out, I'd get a receipt and I'd go home yeah. and I'd take that receipt and I'd put it into this spreadsheet. And you could maybe, if you have a credit card, you can go look at your credit card bill, whatever. But this helps, this helps in case you're doing cash as well. Um, and like I, once I realized, I, I was like, I sat down and I would do it every night. Every night before I went to bed, I'd pop open my laptop, type in my numbers, go to bed. And then there was one night I sat, I sat up and I was typing and I was like, I've had to put in numbers 11 days in a row, you know, right? (laughs) Like I've had, I've bought stuff 11 days in a row. What am I doing? What am I even buying? That's, and like, it was like, Oh, $4 at Dairy Queen, $5 at Tropical Smoothie, you know? And it was like all these mini purchases, but then I saw it in my own spreadsheet and I saw this column of stuff that I bought just going on and on and on and on. And my column of stuff that I'd earned just one, two, Right. So, you know, like the weekly pay- paycheck. And I, was, and I sat back and realized at the end of the month of July, I went, oh, my God. <laughs> wow, I spent way more money. I don't even remember buying this. Yeah. You know, like I bought this set of, I bought a playing card deck. I don't even know where that card, deck of cards is. And so it really helped me realize my own spending habits. And then so to the listener, do that for a month. Go into a spreadsheet, set up a column for what you earn, what you spend. Go Dates on, dates on the far left, month of July up top go through and then you can actually get an idea of what your spending habits are. You can see when in the week you're buying things, how much you're spending on every order. And then you can start to actually analyze, sit back and say, okay, did I really need that? And the next time you go to get that exact same thing, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I remember doing this last time. And then you, and then you can start to, it's a gradual thing. You're not going to be able to flip a switch and change, but gradually you're able to shift your spending habits and then eventually you'll be able to improve. Like Bob said, thinking more intentionally about our money versus emotionally and saying, Ugh, that ice cream so good, you know? But now I have to record it. Yeah, and, yep, you know, yep. And, 
you know, what's interesting is when you do exactly what you just said, a lot of times people will find that their spending drops and their money increases because they don't want to write it in. They don't want to have to go in and yes. put it in. They don't want to yes. lie, you but they don't want to put it in the book. So I'm just not going to spend the darn money. I had that problem. Like, yeah. It was like most of the way through July. And I was like, I don't want to put it in. I'm cheating myself. I was sitting yeah. there having like this emotional conflict in my own head. Yeah. I was like, ah, 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 you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. So 100%. Um, so I love this idea of trying to trying to think more intentionally about our money. I really like I it's such a unique way to think about money, everything's running it. And now there was this other topic that you brief you you briefly touched on that was feeling ashamed of your own success. Yeah. Okay? You said that you had wealthy friends who felt ashamed who were emotionally conflicted because they were successful. They thought they had too much money. They thought, they, they, they thought they'd done too well. I want to touch on that because that is something that I kind of struggle with is like thinking about, man, is being successful really what I want? Am I just being a jerk for chasing money? I want to touch on this idea of feeling bad because of your success, not feeling good because of it. How do we combat that? How do we avoid that? How do we prepare ourselves for that conflict? Yeah. So you know, obviously you don't immediately realize, oh, I, I feel bad. It, it, mm -hmm. It's gradual. And all of a sudden, oh my God, I've accumulated some wealth. I, I feel bad. There's hungry people in the world. There are other people that yeah. have worked harder than me and I got it much easier, right? So we start coming up with stories. So one of the first things I ask people is, is it a story or is it the truth? Like, are you just telling yourself a story that like, oh, I didn't do the work. Um, I didn't work as hard as other people. I got really lucky. Um, I'm not that talented. Um, yeah, you might have actually really done the work. Uh, you you might have gotten lucky, but getting yeah. really clear on wait, what's what's the truth of the situation? Um, and there are other people. Here's the thing: not everybody's going to be wealthy. Not everybody's right. going to save their money. That's yep. not on you. And that is not on me to be responsible for the entire rest of the world for not willing to do their work. And there are people out there that work really, really hard and don't get ahead. That's also not my fault. Mm -hmm. I can have empathy. I can have compassion. If I want to help them, maybe I do that, but I do it out of choice, not out of guilt. Right. You know, if I help my family, it's because I want to help them. Whereas in the past, I would do it because I would either feel guilty or I was like, I'm going to make you pay. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> right. I'm going to punish you. Um, and so I think we just have to get really clear about why we have the success and are we doing good things? Like, am I an evil person now that I have this money? Right. And usually not money usually yeah. amplifies your goodness or your badness. So yes. it yes. doesn't actually change you. Um, it just amplifies. And, and so asking yourself, am I, am I giving to charity? Am I being of service? Am I doing good things with this? Um, it doesn't mean that every time you see somebody at the street corner that you have to hand over five bucks. Mm -hmm. um, you can do that. But again, looking at why am I doing it? Am I doing it so they'll just stop looking at me um, so I can feel better in this moment, even though it really still feels like I'm a really bad person because yeah. I'm successful or I'm not giving them the $5. So I'm a real jerk because I obviously don't care about homeless people. 
like we have to go through these stories and then figure out and see our goodness and see our self-worth and know that what our intentions are truly. And I just want to point out that you, you touched on this idea of money amplifying your ability to do things, right? Mm-hmm. I think part of feeling good about yourself as you make more money and continuing to want success because you can you can amplify your ability to do good is like money's a tool. More than anything, money is a tool. Yeah. So I a little while back, one of my friends was like, Chase, I'm doing this thing for charity. I want to do this. And I was like, okay. And I gave her 250 bucks. And she was like, oh my God, this is so much money. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I have it. So I'm going to, so I'm going to give it to you. And the way that I reminded myself of that is like, you don't have to be giving away a crap ton of money because like you right. said, money amplifies things scale. If today you gave away 10 bucks to someone as, as, as a piece of charity, but you're making a hundred dollars a week, you know, you, you still did a good thing. You still did a good yep. thing. And you're, and you're trying to be a good person because that means that if you get, you're willing to give away 10 bucks when you're making hundred dollars a week, that means when you're making a thousand dollars a week, you'll be willing to give away a hundred dollars. And if someday you're making $10,000 a week, you'll be willing to give away a thousand dollars. Like you see, you see how this scales, how this amplifies rather than feeling guilty about how much money you're making, start doing the little things, the little habits now that are going to help people because eventually once they scale, once you scale as a person, once your income scales, you're going to continue doing these little things that help people. And that's how you, I think that's, that's part of how you feel good about yourself as, as you're making more money. Bob, Bob would you agree? Do you have any, any more? To yeah, say absolutely. I, I, I think being charitable and being of service is, is, is very high on my priority list. You know, the college I went to uh, is very service oriented. Yeah. And, you know, that was, part. It, you know, when we got there, I was told, look, you are privileged to go to this college. Uh, there's a lot of wealth here. You have a lot of advantages. A lot of other people don't have. You have a responsibility to pay it forward. You have a responsibility to, to give to others that don't have as much as you do. Mm-hmm. And some people would say, well, I was on scholarship or I had to get a student loan. You st- I still had a lot more privilege than a whole lot of other people, mm-hmm. even though I was probably the poorest kid at the school. But, and I, so I think what goes with service is gratitude. I think it's so important. Um, we're, we're spoiled in this country. Yes, um, yes you we know, are. Like I said earlier, I was in Zimbabwe. They're happy to get a bucket of water once a week heated up. That's their shower, right? Yep. yep. They don't have electricity with, low. Oh, let me go turn on the kitchen lights. They have a single light bulb in the yep. living room exactly. if they're lucky. And, and so we take a lot of stuff for granted. Okay. We have so much abundance and we're so busy going, I don't have the newest phone. I don't have the newest style of clothing. Right. Yeah. Well, you got, you got something. You You got food on your table. Congrats. Awesome. Well, Bob, this has been really, really awesome. I know we're getting kind of towards the end of our interview time here and I got to get rolling and I want to respect your time. So now that we're coming up to the end here, is there anything else that you want to say to our listeners? Any point you don't think we touched upon that you think is important? Anything you want to go back and review? What is on the top of your mind what are you going to tell the audience to push to, to, to send, to send them off this podcast? What is your, what are your final words for our audience? So the, the couple of things that I want to say to people out there, because this is, uh, you know, about financial freedom, this is about getting ahead. First of all, as soon as you start making any kind of money, working a side job, start putting some money in a Roth IRA, do it now, 6,000 bucks, or even put in three, do something. So many people, when they get to their thirties, 
say, man, I wished I had listened to everybody that told me to put money in savings, put yes. some money in a Roth IRA, do that. The other thing is when you're investing, even as a, as a younger person, or you're doing whatever you're getting into, know the rules, know yes. the rules, do a little bit of research. The biggest thing I've seen with investing this year is people not understanding the capital gains rule, people not understanding wash sales, which a lot of people got hit with this year. Mm -hmm. um, don't invest more money than you're willing to lose. Yes, that is a big one. That is a big one. Don't. I learned that early. My brother-in-law was just like, dude, don't spend more than you're willing to lose. And that was such a great piece of advice. And just remember the higher the return, the greater the risk. So get focused on your money, get conscious about it. Don't make it your whole life purpose, but it will amplify all the passions and things you love to do. So nothing wrong with financial literacy. I think it's amazing. It does give you financial freedom. Yes. And so guys, Bob said a lot of terms there. So feel free to go Google those because even I was like, wash sales, huh? Um, so feel, feel free to go check a couple of those out and you'll definitely learn something. Check out Bob on the moneynerve.com. He has a whole website. Super cool. So Bob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This Absolutely. has been so, so amazing. Where can our listeners learn more about you, connect with you some more? So the best place is themoneynerve.com. I've got an email on there. Uh, we've got all kinds of resources and people can reach out to me. I love people connecting. Uh, we do a money and vision group every other week at night. We, we, we try to be a resource for people out there. That's really what we're about. 100%. All right, guys, check Bob out at themoneynerve.com. The Other than that, Bob, thank you so much for coming on here on the podcast today. This was every bit as awesome as I had hoped it would be. Well, thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, man. You do the same. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. We would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone who needs it.